It is, and don't get me wrong. What, the the video, video has 60 the million video's views. The video is only, what, six days old? It has 60 million views. No, it's two years old. Three years old. No, no four years old. No, I'm sorry. Old. I'm thinking about, about the one I it posted. It was published in 2016. Back. I'm thinking about the one I posted mm -hmm. back to you today in 2019. Yeah. Sorry. He posted a video. This one's from Sunbar. We're gonna get we're gonna get to that later, but I'm gonna drop mm -hmm. it now. He posted a video today because he he did reference this a little bit in the mm -hmm. video we were sent um, about balance and how thinking of work and life as a balancing equation is not the right thing to do. But we'll get into that later. He posted a video about that, his response to that, and how he thinks that's the wrong way to think about things now. Three Which years is not, later, that point is not something that has not been said either. Right. Jordan so, Peterson has the same thing as well. Right. So getting back into the tech thing and the whole dopamine relation, mm -hmm. which is my second issue, the relationship in, in the between dopamine release in our brains and social media interaction versus dopamine release in our brains and addiction exactly the same. is drastically different in ratio. The way in which it occurs is the same, but the ratio in which it occurs is drastically different. Right? Yeah, but if you have yes, one and hit I'm of heroin. Tell you why, and I'm hang gonna on, tell you why. Hang on. If you have one hit of heroin, heroin is is considered enough that you take one hit of extremely pure heroin, it could be addictive. That implies already that there's a gradient system of exposure, right? And you can vaguely argue about a gradient system of exposure in social media. If you're on Twitter all the time and that's your only social media, you can argue about whether or not you have a 100% saturation effect or addiction or saturation effect to cause an addiction on social media, right? But social media is a very broad scoping term similar to addiction. It creates a doping effect from dopamine. But to say that you're addicted to social media, mm -hmm. to the dopamine release, because you mm -hmm. spend almost every hour every day on Twitter, mm -hmm. that's an exceedingly large extrapolation. Especially, no, it's, it's true. It, it can be true, but it's not, it's not necessarily true. Especially if your job centers around social media interaction. Mm -hmm. It depends on the context of your relationship to it, which is what my second issue is. He's generalizing the interaction of social media, particularly in teenage years, to that of addictive tendencies developed in teenage years, similar to exposure to alcohol or other class one drugs that are unregulated. And this extrapolation assumes that we don't have a natural interaction with it, right? We don't have a natural interaction with alcohol. We don't have a natural interaction with cocaine. It doesn't occur naturally in our bodies, which is what I mean. When I say I have a natural interaction, it doesn't occur naturally in our bodies, right? What, to want alcohol? No, no, no. To We don't generate alcohol in our bodies. We generate lactic acid, which has a similar effect, but and we generate other chemicals that have a similar effect on our bodies under extreme stress, like adrenaline. But we don't generate alcohol. We don't generate meth. We don't generate LSD. He's equating dopamine, mm -hmm. the relationship humans have with dopamine, especially in our teenage years, which is a naturally occurring process, to the equivalent addiction of prolonged exposure to a class 1 drug such as alcohol.
Right. That is a huge jump. I'm surprised you And it you casts don't... an extensive negative light on the fact that we have natural occurring dopamine. I mean, I'm surprised you don't get, you don't agree with that, but you have your view on loot boxes and video games. It's the exact same thing. Well, that's what I'm saying thing. is that social media and loot boxes are similar, right? But it's drastically different in your level of saturation. Yeah, but my thing is um, social media is probably more addictive than any drug in the world. Mmm, interesting. I would so, disagree with that extensively, but... How? Okay. Because my thing is, when you look at social media... Are you arguing that social media is addictive, the problem, or that the dopamine release is addictive? Because there's a, there's a contextual difference that is incredibly important. Mm, my thing is, social media is more addictive because once you... Social media, um, I'm not even going to use the same words that are used. I'm just going to, like, explain it without trying to use the words. Okay. But social media is probably the launching pad to something bigger than social media. So, it's so kind of... social media is the gateway drug? Well, it's... I don't think it's right to say social media. is. I think you should say advertising is addictive, Right. Social so you shouldn't media. let your kids watch Saturday morning cartoons because McDonald's advertising. No, you shouldn't let your kids. Right, McDonald's advertising mm-hmm. is not good. McDonald's is not considered mm-hmm. a healthy, nutritious part of your kids' development. It doesn't give sure. them a good, natural, nutrition, nutrient, sure. uh, pro-based diet. Are you yeah, going to stop some... your kids from watching Saturday morning cartoons because all they want to see is Ronald McDonald's new cartoon short that advertises to the parent that they should get their kids McDonald's? I don't feel that relates to argument, though. It relates because... to argument because you're considering social media more broadly, as you extrapolated, advertising mm-hmm. as the launch pad because you see for the dopamine release. Alcohol and drugs. For the dopamine release, though. Mm-hmm. Is what that, and then that's the contextual basis, is it? it doesn't matter if it's... Simon Sinek is attributing social media clicks mm-hmm. interaction the same way when you take a shot at the bar, the yeah. same way when you take a hit of heroin or cocaine or you take a, a puff of a spliff. Yeah. He's equating all that on the same level. Now, granted, he again, it's his opinion. He's not citing evidence to say that it's the same, which I would say that it is certainly not. Because it's about saturation, which he goes on to say later, everything is okay in balance, fair. But what you're now saying is that more broadly, rather than just social media, it's about advertising. I'm saying in my thesis, this is what I'm saying in one short, quick thing. My thesis is that we have a paradoxical thing here happening like this next level in society and in history and culture at large in the whole entire world is one that we've never even encountered before, which is why we don't have the the study to analyze it, right? Yeah, I mean, so which is why when I say what I say right now, you're going to have to hear it and understand it because you've never heard anything like it before. Social media and advertising at large is the most addictive thing on this earth, but the easiest thing to stop. Mm. So what I'm saying Mm. is that it's not like, it's not like 
you get a shot of heroin and your body needs it physically so you go through withdrawal. What I'm saying is, is that social media is the most addictive thing, more addictive than anything else, but because you don't need it, you don't, you physically, biologically need it, the thing, then you don't crave it. But the thing is, is that social media doesn't cater to your physical needs like probably a, a meth addiction does. It caters to your emotional needs. And we do crave something that makes us feel good. Right. And something that makes us feel good does not give us cold sweats. It does not give us something. It does not. It does not give us anything that addiction to any drug or alcohol will do. Something that is good for you. So we actually crave something that's good for you. But behind the thing that's good for you is something that's actually bad for you. Mm-hmm. So the good feeling that is hardwired into our body is being presented when behind it a predatory action is being conducted and we love it and it's everywhere. So what I'm saying is that social media and advertising is more addicting than any drug or alcohol in the world. It's the easiest to put down, but nobody wants to. So that's why you can equate it with addiction to alcoholism. Because actually, the addiction to social media is reaching way way more teenagers than the addiction to alcoholism or drugs ever did. And the addiction to social media and advertising is way worse than any addiction on earth. Mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying. So... And my thing is, most of the time, when you take the addiction of social media, you can streamline addiction to anything else. So if you get somebody addicted to social media, then you can get them addicted to anything else. And we're not even going to jump on that train right now. We're not okay. going to that. But uh, right. Because we are so, trying to stay focused on this right, because the the request, mm-hmm. the request was sent in to focus on this. So and more broadly, the millennial topic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly we should have a conversation about addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. certainly at a later date, once we hash out anecdotal experiences and how much they weigh. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, mm, okay. I don't know. I want to get into all that Mm -hmm. right now. I mean, okay. All right. I hear you. so, uh, okay, <laughs> we're gonna come back to that off air <laughs> and, and so, assess and assess that uh validity, mm-hmm. that viscosity, veracity that's the word viscosity is a little refers mm-hmm. to liquid movement, anyways. So, my, my main concern, although it is, it is mm-hmm. a fair comparison in terms of saturation effect, alcoholism to addiction of social media. It is a it is a fair comparison of saturation effect, which is the main concern in any addictive substance. How much do you need of it to for it to become addictive, quote unquote, on average, right? Which science has somewhat proven is an addictive thing. Science has somewhat proven can be an environmental thing. Um, 
primarily so hard to stop coming the, for you right now. I know, but the problem is the problem with social media is that it's so readily available, right? I mean, every kid has multiple forms of it. It's not like meth where there's one form of meth or cocaine. It's like crack, cocaine, same thing, same effect. You know, you don't prefer one form of it over another necessarily because it gets you more or less high. It's just one's cheaper than the other, right? Um, and so you have these these reiterations of it. And what uh, Simon Sinek is saying is that basically the trauma, as he, to quote Simon, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended creates a similar dopamine negative reaction as alcoholics who can't get alcohol. Right? That's not a full quote from him. His quote is, trauma for young kids to be unfriended. Right? We see that effect. His equation is that it's similar to an alcoholic who can't get alcohol. Like their friend says, I'm not going to give you alcohol because it's not good for you anymore. That's the equivalent of being unfriended. Now, Simon Sinek, if you feel like I'm misinterpreting your words, feel free to tweet back at us, email us back, let us know. I'll post a fucking revision. That's what it seemed like in that interview three years ago. He's extrapolating our natural access to dopamine to a negative dependency. And that's not inherently true for the way dopamine works in the human body. Dopamine is used any number of ways in the human body to curtail, boost, or negate certain positive negative effects across the body, right? The same way adrenaline is used in your fight or flight response to make you fucking move so that you can survive. Adrenaline is not to fight or to run specifically. It's either or, but you gotta do something. You gotta fucking move so that you can at least have a chance of living. Right? That's the same way dopamine works. It's the same way melatonin works. It's the same way any number of other chemicals, cortisol works in the human body. They trigger a response for one thing or another or to increase chance of survival. It's not about good or bad. Good or bad is a moral extrapolation for human society to measure. And he's equating a human-created construct, social media, uh, public platforms that, yes, if engineered in a certain algorithmic mathematical fashion, do create a dopamine release. If they're engineered that way by human hands, if they engineer them that way, they have a similar effect in addiction rates as naturally occurring substances such as alcohol, such as dopamine. But it's human created. Humans make that to fuck up other humans, to make money off of them. They program algorithms that inherently piss people off to get more interaction because more interaction generates more money via ad revenue, via clicks, via media traffic. That is inherently human based. The, the social engineering behind social media 
cannot be overstated. It is an exponent factor at the end of a parentheses equation that is human nature. And you're putting an exponent at the end of it. And that entire exponent is social media. It's Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, Hotmail, whatever. It's social media, internet connectivity that all it wants to do is make you interact with other people. And now, now, since early 2000s, it's been engineered for money purposes. And the best way to do that is addiction. Trigger as many dopamine response in teenagers and young adults as you can to keep them coming back for more. That's human ingenuity. That is not a naturally occurring substance in our brains, in our biochemistry, such as dopamine or melanin or cortisol. And that's what I mean when I say it's a huge extrapolation for Simon Sinek to go. The trauma of being unfriended as a kid is the same as being an alcohol, an alcoholic dependent upon liquor. That's a huge jump. How? I mean, I know you just explained how. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a huge jump because one thing, while enabled by other people, mm-hmm. possibly, potentially enabled by other people, is still a self-choice. Which, yes, is a constant internal struggle versus your dopamine release. But you're not engineered specifically to create money for another person with the knowledge that it's going to ruin you. Right? The liquor company doesn't... Jack Daniels doesn't make Jack Daniels specifically for the alcoholics. I'm pretty sure that you they could count on the argue, fact that yes, alcoholism... You could certainly argue that. that a corporation that big takes into account in their plus or minus numbers... Mm-hmm. how many alcoholics get clean every year on average. But that's a plus or minus ratio that they can't guarantee their stock investors. Therefore, it's not going to be accounted for. But I think the fact that social media executives enact in the same um, reward system that alcoholism enacts right. proves that well, they've, the certainly, they've certainly engineered it because it's a similar response. But yeah, as somebody we stated, it requires many more interactions to create the same alcohol level of dependency. Is, alcohol is just human ingenuity, too. Alcohol is not naturally occurring. As it does naturally occur in our bodies in a certain fashion, but not in a way yeah, that is harmful to our internal organs the way man-made alcohol is. Yeah, but it's not largely manufactured. True. Because social media True. is not something that... Neither is dopamine. But social media is not something that is not naturally occurring. You believe social media is naturally occurring? Social media is an extension of something that just already naturally occurred. So you are equating human society and collectivity or our natural in, in intuitiveness to create, to congregate and create society... To the basis of social media? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that's what Facebook was created for in the first place. Interesting. I mean, you can that's see it premise. in the founding foundation of Facebook that it was created just... Yeah, that's a good premise. What was happening. But the way it's executed mm-hmm. now is not used, is not operated on that principle. 
that's been proven by statistical studies. Since when? Since is the, the way that social media acts in this in this, how does that not reflect society right now? Say that, rephrase that. I missed the first thing. I'm sorry. So you're saying that if I'm saying that social media naturally occurs in the world around us, mm-hmm. and it's nothing but an extension of what we experience in the world right now, you are asking me, you are telling me that the way that social media operates right now is not an extension of what is happening in the world around us right now. Oh, certainly not. No, the way social media is interacting currently is specifically curtailed and designed by human interaction. So was alcohol. Alcohol is designed... Okay, my thing is society and social media and alcohol are both humanly designed but are both naturally occurring so and they both elicit the same response when addicted to the the social media we have today is entirely human made and human controlled what you're equating social media on our cell phones and technological devices, which is what specifically Simon Sinek is talking about, to social media or previous, more, I guess, primitive social social media forms of going hunting together, doing a community okay. event, going to a church potluck. So then let's let's take that's on, not the same. Let's take you on a thought experiment. Okay. Okay. Why the hell did they come out with We're the We're going to consider this why, a sidebar. Uh, why did they decide to come out with a little icon that looks like the world to be the image that was first connected to the World Wide Web? Because it's a direct symbolism of the world. Right. So then let's think about the World Wide Web as the world, mm-hmm. right? And every URL, every page, every IP address you, you go to is geographical space. Okay. Now, we as humans, we design every space that we shelter the same. There may be minuscule, tiny little differences, or big it's fair to say that we affect it in a way thing. that's better for us. It's it, the same it thing. It makes us more comfortable, right. which releases dopamine. No, you're not going on a thought experiment. You're trying to connect it to the end without going through the whole thing. Okay. Okay. We're going to leave dopamine to okay. the end. So, every house has identified, has a position. Okay? On the World Wide Web, your IP address or your web, your URLs, your position. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then after you you go into that, you have people in the house, things in the house you consider as content on your website, right? And then what we're trying to do with social media is we're trying to take people from inside the house, mm-hmm. content from inside these sites and we're trying to connect them together on one platform 
that is outside of the homes that we've created, but it's in one home. So Facebook has their own home, which we all visit to. You can think of it as a common area, a community center mm-hmm. that everybody goes to. And that's everybody's home. And they have a little shop inside of that one Facebook home that is considered your Facebook profile. Mm-hmm. And anything you want to go inside somebody else's home and take and bring and share it with anybody else, you share it. So with this thought experiment, we have I walked you through how society naturally occurs outside of social media, but social media streamlines the way that we interact as people. Okay. That still doesn't discount my statement. How does it not discount your statement? You're saying that social media is being used as a tool for facilitation, which is what it's always been intended to be. The problem with social media today, specifically, let's focus on Facebook, right? It was intended to just be a a connective tissue for society. Now it facilitates Now it facilitates purchases. Purchases, anger, ads, money transfers, all on the basis. That's exactly why our society is the way it is right now. Because when we take an extension of ourselves and we turn that extension of ourselves into something, we end up reflecting just exactly what how we operate on that thing. That's presumptive. So when Facebook is filled with nothing but ads and angry people, then we know out here okay, in the that, real world, ca- capitalism and anger fuels everything in our world. If that's so, true, why did Helios come with, with a model of the universe that is centered around the sun instead of himself? What does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? You I mean, you kind of have to explain why. Okay. I, to be fair, I jumped way back in time for an example. But you're talking about equating naturally occurring human society and ingenuity to foster a, a better species survival to naturally evolving into social media today. Correct. Sure. Yeah. Social media is the natural evolution of human society to, to keep us connected as we grow more Definitely. expansive yeah. and whatever. Okay. If it is solely based around what is good for us as humans and what is co- what is good collectively, Helios would never, I'm sorry, Copernicus, would never have come up with the heliocentric model. That says, you know what, despite what every old person in the church says, science says Earth is not the center of the universe and man is not the center of the universe, despite what our Bible says. And he would not have lost his life in pursuit of his own science for it. Mm-hmm. Then you can argue about the historical evidence, people, if you want to, all the history buffs out there about whether or not Copernicus actually was forced out and blah, 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 and extenuating circumstances about his condition of living, whatever. If he hadn't come out 
in the college and said, the Earth is actually not the center of the universe, and humans are not the center of the universe, he would have died a happy, retired old man. And instead, he chose to dig a road hard against the grain of society because he thought that's what society needed to know. And he was right. He was true and right. And several hundred years later, Isaac Newton proved him right with the theory of gravity. So when you say that society naturally forms into social media, I feel that's inherently false because humans inevitably form to what's better for them. Social media was not inherently engineered towards what's better for human society. So social media has been human engineered into what certain humans think is better for everybody that is not based in objective science the way the Copernicus model or the Helios model was based. Okay. And your it is argument not based is that in Newton. It is not based in scientific evidence. It is in fact based in opposite evidence. It's shown that if you create outrage, create animosity, create dissidence and divide people, okay. they're more likely to interact and do what you want them to do. And create the world you want created. Okay. So you said. That's not you natural said that ba- human concordance. You said that based on your. You said based on my statement. Then people would have not created something that is inherently bad for them. People would have created something that. No, I'm saying. Fosters people their People do own not beliefs. inherently follow something that is inherently bad for them. They only follow something that is inherently bad for them when it creates that dopamine response. And the only mm-hmm. way it creates that response to an addictive saturation okay. and is when it is engineered. Okay. So the argument that social media and Facebook are places that were created to engineer. No, no, no. They have been engineered mm-hmm. to create a saturation level of the dopamine effect equivalent, as Simon Sinek said, mm-hmm. To alcoholism, to uh, class one drug addiction. Okay. That's, that's how I'm going to put it because there are too many drugs to list, and certain other drugs that people can have dependencies on are not necessarily addictive. But if you have a class one drug dependency, it has the similar chemical makeup effect on your brain as a high, high being the term there, a high saturation effect. Of social media when it is not specifically required for your occupation. Okay, so you're not you're so now you're there's a lot of caveats. Is my point right? Can you give me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nevis. I'm really hot about this. This well, I think some issue. I think some of your views are clouding your your ability to hear some reason. Okay, I think that is the problem. Okay, I think that. The thing is that whether Facebook was engineered to probably try to control how people view something, nothing, uh, nothing. I feel like um, when I feel like if it doesn't matter if social media was engineered to subvert people's behavior or if it was meant to support people coming together, 
What I'm saying is that technology is an extension of the human experience. Mm-hmm. So inherently, whatever you're going to create technologically is going to mimic society. So Facebook does nothing but mimic what's happening in society. And social media does nothing but mimic what's happening in society. So I'm thinking you have already concluded that whatever Facebook is trying to push on people, you agree that it's probably just as addictive as any drug or alcohol, right? You agree with me on that. It's either yes or no. It's not regardless. It It, it is particularly addictive when it gets you to interact. Exactly. Okay. So, so that that fact and, is true. And we know negativity that, is what gets you to interact. Right? So if we you have tons of right, it's happy being, kittens, you're not going to interact as much as if you're an anti-Trump supporter. We've mentioned that three times already. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's that's not what I'm saying. inherently just but, the way it is, though. It's, uh-huh. gen- it's human-engineered. That's the whole point. <laughs> you're not you're not getting okay. you're not getting it. I just don't think that we agree uh-huh. on the fact that social media is engineered by a specific few rather than the human consciousness as a whole. Alcohol was engineered by a few and it caught on and everybody wanted to do it. Now there is a vast majority making it and an infinitely vast majority consuming it. So what I'm saying is that, yes, when Mark talks about how Facebook was made, he said he made it with two other guys in a kitchen. A kitchen. So three people engineered a way to get billions of people to do something that is highly addictive Mm-mm. and that contributes to that doesn't contribute to the well-being of society that much. I would disagree. I think they engineered a platform on which people could cross communicate cross wide distances. That is not the same as social engineering certain ads to profit off of. It's not because to simply open up a community center in your community and say, this is a place everybody can come and talk regardless of the differences is not the same as saying, this is a place specifically for X kind of person to come and talk and feel welcome in an echo chamber of their own beliefs. You have an open community center for everybody. You create an open discourse across multiple fields of beliefs and perspectives okay. in the world. On this and argument, you create an echo chamber, which is literally what social media algorithms are programmed mm-hmm. to do currently, that feed into your own loop of success and and self belief. That creates fanatical belief which is not good a for the human species and b for society i know but if we get if we get caught up on every single minuscule concept of an argument we will never get to a point but i don't think we are i think we're arguing about two specific Mm -hmm. points i think you are arguing that the way social media came about and the way it's being executed now mm-hmm. is part of the evolutionary chain for human social interaction. I didn't necessarily. I said because that that of human ingenuity, but I didn't necessarily say a majority of a oh, minority of that statement is true. 
Okay, so I don't I believe that social media and advertising is an extension of society. Okay. That is what I said. That's fair. I I would say it's certainly a very just like alcohol is an extension of a select portion of of, right of something that happens. So it can Hmm. be it can be compared equally. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I I understand your premise of thought. Mm-hmm. I still disagree because the breaking the the chemical bond between chemical dependencies such as alcohol, meth, cocaine, heroin are drastically different compared to the chemical bond connection of social media addiction. And it is much... Yeah, but what better to create something... much harder to show and prove an addiction to social media specifically as your release for dopamine than it is another class one drug. So for, so for cynic to uh, for cynic to equate social media addiction to the same thing as a class one drug is vastly is a is a vastly broad stroking statement that I don't believe warrants truth. I do. I think that because way, I believe you because of the saturation other, level. No, I believe that people. Like you, <laughs> don't understand how genius it is to create something that is so addictive that people don't even think it's addictive. So, your argument, like you're arguing mm. something, you're arguing a position that probably dictates. A majority of how you live your life and you don't even know it. So like social media is nothing but a dilution of advertising, right? And advertising I would say it's a concentration of advertising. Yeah. No, dilution. Yeah, I'd use the wrong word. That was my fault. You mean a concentration. It's a concentration of advertising. Most certainly. I mean you're watching one video for what fifteen minutes and advertising. And advertising. Like kids shows don't have that many advertisements. Even on Saturday morning when McDonald's right. is trying to squeeze every parent for $2 on an Egg McMuffin. Right. And advertising runs people's lives and they don't even know it. I would certainly agree with that, which is why I think, again, my my original point is that when you say what the, the science we know is, well, what is the science? Is it the saturation level or just the exposure rate? There's a difference. Is it how much dopamine is released for a positive like versus a negative dislike or a positive comment versus a negative comment? What connotates this interaction? Is it from somebody? How important is a negative from somebody whose approval you do seek versus a positive from somebody whose approval you already have? These are connotations in social media that affect the plus or minus ratio and the dopamine release ratio that don't occur in a raw chemical base reaction, right? 
you don't have all that difference, right? You don't have the connotation and the various factors of dopamine release when you take a specific measurement of heroin or cocaine or weed or anything. Yeah, but the new thing for the future is to create something so integral to our everyday life. Okay, but that's that, not what we're talking about. We're talking is, about the millennial generation mm-hmm. and its relationship with dopamine. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about that. You just didn't let me finish my statement. No, I'm sorry. Right. Oh, so my thing is is when we're moving forward in mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. we started with the millennials creating something so integral to our like our being that we don't even know that it will be something that is so damaging. So my thing is, I feel like in the future, drugs and alcohol will probably be the least of our addiction worries because now we're moving into a period where something becomes so integral that it will be legal it will be a part of something that we've been doing since we have had intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it's right in our face and we need it. So advertising and social media is something that has something that's good about it, but it also has something that's very bad. So that we we don't even recognize that it's something that's, that's that's inherently bad for us. We just recognize the good the good parts about it, and that's the part that makes it so addictive and so dangerous. Because there is a scientific link to something that affects us scientifically in this process, and that's the point. The point is that you create something that probably is not tangible, so you can't measure it, and it's so difficult to measure it, but you have years, decades, probably centuries of analyzing the same behavior, so you know how to, how to create something intangible that creates the same thing that a tangible thing does. Like, the most dangerous thing about creating the same thing intangibly Mm -hmm. that you can create tangibly is that most of the times, it's harder to find a counter for it, right? So, when we think about, hmm, when we think about pain, right, Mm. we think like, a punch or a fire. Those are things that we can we can kind of try to dodge. Mm-hmm. But when we think about something like electric, like lightning bolt strikes or shocks, mm-hmm. something that's so close to intangible that we can't seem to measure it or can't seem to avoid it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that you're saying, you're arguing that sometimes the results have not and are not being shown 
that this can even be equated to something minutely as similar as addiction to alcohol and drugs. And what I'm arguing is that that's exactly how they want it to be. They want it to be to where you cannot readily find the connection between social media addiction and dopamine. Because when you do, Mm. you'll be able to argue that it should not be a thing, which Mm. I think that everybody will be on the same page that we will abolish this thing. But the point is to make it so ingrained and so needed Mm. and so intangible, you can't seem to get anything quantitative out of studying its effect on people. So do you think that social media robs, as Simic thinks, do you think social media and its addictive tendencies Mm -hmm. and its dopamine mechanics rob millennials, as he says, robs millennials of the ability to form deep, meaningful relationships? Yeah, that's like one of the things that like stuck out to me. So you think, so let's extrapolate it to a different platform because we mm-hmm. seem to be very divergent about hot hot platforms mm-hmm. political platforms such as Facebook or Twitter let's take Discord mm-hmm. which is a uh, social media app that was created specifically for the gaming community for gamers to be able to stream connect and find each other within the realm of gaming I find now I've had multiple relationships from social media on those platforms culminate in deep, meaningful relationships. Some of the people I've met in through social media, through Discord specifically, um, because I don't have Twitter or Instagram and shit. Specifically through Discord, I have invited to my wedding. I've had stay at my house. I've lived with them. I've met them in person. How does that weather the concept that somehow social media detracts so this, from the meaningful relationships? Right. It could just be me because I... This is the problem that comes with something being so intangible that it can't be quantitatively measured. Okay. The fact is that you probably can't get any numbers on why something is having a specific effect. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how gotcha. they want it to be. Right, because then they can say it's this or that or whatever we choose to be today. So when someone says that it prevents an entire generation from forming deep, meaningful relationships, they don't mean everybody. Mm -hmm. They mean it keeps enough people from a certain set Mm -hmm. from being able to form it that it's impactful to society at large. Right. It has a so, fraction from right. society at large, which I would say, I think Cynic would say, has certainly contributed to the growth of social mm-hmm. media. Because more people have... He uses his... More people have mm-hmm. less relationships that mean mm-hmm. something, and so they continue to look for more. Right? Mm-hmm. And so as the, the number of kids from the millennial generation grow up, because there are some born in, in the millennial generation who are not, or who are just turning 21, 22. Mm-hmm. As the more of them grow up and become functioning adults and independent and financially secure, they're still lacking, as Cynic would say, 
an, an emotional, meaningful relationships on a grand scale, on a larger scale for their social context. They might have a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whoever, a partner that they live with, that they spend time with, or a family background, or maybe they don't have a family background and all they have is their friends and what have you. And so they're looking for more interaction as they grow older and they're looking for a more defined perspective <clears throat> on their own life. That interaction, while generally creating more uh, connections on social media, also inherently creates an echo chamber and creates a culture of, a, a small knit culture of that. Once diverse people who become inherently one concept, they share each other's beliefs because they keep seeing each other's feedback as is the case with Facebook and other major platforms. They feed you what you want to see, what keeps you interactive. And so as your, even if your friend might post something that's controversial or not even controversial, contrary to what they had believed before, do you or do you not see it? Right? They go, you're at Christmas one, one year and, you're, and they go, well, what are you talking about? Why do you have this issue with my opinion? I posted this on Facebook six months ago and you didn't say anything. Why are you so angry about it now? Well, maybe the algorithm didn't show you that post. Until one day at Christmas time, you were just going through social media and looking at your memories and looking at all the, the, the last year's great events. And you stumble upon this issue. You didn't even know that you had a difference of opinion with this person until Christmas. It happens, right? It's possible it does happen today. But in the future, when more people connect through major social media platforms, such as uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, growing platforms like Discord, it has outgrown the specific gaming moniker. Discords are used for any number of uh, social media interactions now, from podcasts to, uh, like I said, gaming platforms, but also to just general political channels and coordinations. Because it's so easy just to go in and interface and dictate who's going to be where and doing what in the channel. Right? Because you can literally delineate by name who has access to what and who's going to be where doing what in the channel. It's incredibly helpful in detail. Um, point being that if such a detailed interaction does continue to occur, then it becomes uh, readily available and required for your day-to-day -day life. Right? Like Cynic was saying, if you wake up at 5.30 and you're not supposed to get up too late and you check your phone, that's an addiction to technology Social media, Barbie, <coughs> to the dopamine response from social media. You're looking for how many more likes you had today versus yesterday, right? You extrapolate that to the more abstract things where you don't get likes or dislikes, shares or not shares, right? All you have is just raw human interaction from hundreds of people on a channel. 
how does that play into the dopamine response to the saturation of dopamine you get for your social media? Is it too much, too little? Is it not the right kind of dopamine response to trigger an addiction to social media, right? Like, because the dopamine response you get from alcohol is not the same as heroin. It all triggers dopamine, but you're not necessarily addicted to the same substance, right? You can be an alcoholic, take cocaine, get a dopamine response, and it's like, meh, not quite as good as what I'm used to. Or heroin, or tobacco and nicotine, or vice versa. It, it It's not one-to-one, I guess is my more broad point about the dopamine relationship in humans. It's very different from person-to-person and addiction-to-addiction. And so when you say that social media is the natural thing to move forward to and that eventually we're not going to realize what we're what it is that we're interacting with because the algorithms are so advanced and because certain humans have just become so accustomed to engineering it that way and we as the common populace have become so used to interacting with social media in that fashion that we don't question it I don't believe that's going to happen because the dopamine response from one drug to another is not inherently the same as Simon Sinek would imply it is. I think it takes a lot more saturation of one drug versus another drug depending on a lot of factors. Environmental factors, which he references, genetic factors, which are few and far between and hard to measure. The thing about a drug, the thing about an addiction, and you're here, seasoned addicts like Joey Diaz talk about this, is that your addiction dictates who you are when you're addicted to it. Right. Well, you're never not addicted to it, though. So if alcohol is what you're addicted to, you begin to act as an alcoholic would act. The problem with social media is that when you're addicted to social media, you begin to act like social media. So when something's popular on social media, mm-hmm. that's how you lead you your function life. function that way. You endorse it. You the move thing, with the flow. The thing about social media is that social media is not like alcohol addiction. You probably certainly. Have, you probably what have in a million, probably two million. Alcohol abusers and addicts. We're talking about uh, a majority of the population. That's a significant difference, though. I mean, abusers and addicts are not entirely the same, certainly. But right, but I'm grouping them together because the number of abusers and addicts <laughs> combined probably don't even touch the number of people who touch social media. Oh, for sure, because you're okay. you're accounting for but social kids media all the way addi- down to five years old. Exactly. So what I'm saying is, is that when you take that number of people who are touched by social media mm-hmm. and then you take how short of a time it takes you to get addicted to social media and then you take that initial response that when you can, the more you get addicted to social media, the more you become like the thing you're addicted to. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're good. I just was making you aware of it. No worries. 
I'm, I'm, the I'm happy to drop some old school <laughs> shit, but we might get a drop. We might get locked down. The thing that happens <laughs> when you when you get addicted to social media and you start to act how social media acts, you start to act like the thing. You mean that how I'm social media dictates you act? Well, let's talk about social media <laughs> as it is a drug. When right. you begin to act how social media, when you begin to act like the drug, when you begin to act like social media, you begin to act like everything that's popular. So everything that society dictates okay. is popular is exactly how you act, right? I gotta back you up. So no, I gotta back you up. But when we have you some, you don't function, you don't behave a different way due to an addictive substance. The addictive substance exacerbates a certain uh, a certain affinity out of you. Right? I mean, so if, like, you, if you take PCP. It affects you a different way than meth does. If you, if you listen, take meth, it affects you a different way than alcohol does. They all affect a certain aspect of the human condition. But they don't just create a different behavioral pattern. Yeah, but when you listen to the testimony of people who are addicts, like hard addicts, they will tell you that their addiction, like fuels their personality right so whatever they're addicted to that is kind of what they base their life around so when we're addicted to social media social media is what we base our life around and whatever is popular on social media is what we base our life around so the thing is in turn when social media is being humanly constructed whatever is constructed to be popular on social media is what everybody's doing so that's more dangerous mm-hmm. than being addicted to anything else. Because and of the by number of people exposed? Because of the number, the sheer like the reach. The reach of it, like that makes it the more addicting than anything else. Okay. So not not even for the fact also for the fact that it doesn't affect you initially you know, physically in it. any form. Right. You don't have to ingest it, you don't have to shoot it up. Right, you you don't have you don't get the fallout the mm-hmm. same way you do from exactly. another drug. Yeah. Exactly, I understand you, that you consume so, it visually. So then, how do you think that plays into his next point, uh, Cynic's next point about the way? I guess as he stated, paraphrasing here, uh, millennials don't have as many uh, stress coping skills as a consumer of alcohol. And weed, when I'm in an area where it's legal, I would say there are vast amounts of coping skills available to people. In social media situations. Well, I mean, and and Cynic's point is that, in general, millennials don't have the same number or uh, amount of coping skills, which I would would take to mean we don't have the same number of hobbies. And I'm going to go back. Or interests or like. And that's where he talked about. Extracurricular skill sets. Like we don't go out and play Frisbee golf as much or we don't go out and golf or we don't continue with our childhood uh, sports passions or. Right. Conversations. Passions. Conversations are not the same. Right. In social media. Just this past Thanksgiving, I can I can recall like. Any number of topics I could have brought up and started a conversation, but if I did, it would have ruined Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there and watched football and pretended to be interested in football. So my thing like, about what? that, like that's not mm-hmm. 
That's not a thing. You don't want to do that. No one wants to do that. It's not helpful. It's not a dopamine release. It's cortisol release. Right? Mm -hmm. And yet, it, it is a coping skill. And so to say, when millennials don't have a coping skill, that... Sorry. Oh, shit. It feels good. <laughs> don't sit on yourself. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways. So... When he says that, you know, millennials just don't have as many coping skills, I believe it really is to mean, I take it to mean, as a millennial who grew up with a significant amount of them, given my family, um, it's really that people don't have outlets, right? Which is a similar argument that we hear with, like, kids and STEM fields and education. It's like STEM field educated kids don't have outlets to, in, to enable innovation and creativity, they're just wired and trained to be one way, to stay in their lane, stay in their box, and don't bother trying to figure anything else out for yourself. Um, that's what I take it to mean. We don't, I mean, kids of our age, adults, young adults of our age, don't have as many coping skills, and so we feel stressed more, and it has a, a, a greater negative effect on our mental health. Which leads to things that he was citing like increased suicide, increased uh, death from drug abuse, or in general, what he was alluding to was uh, increased uh, deaths in the millennial generation of avoidable deaths. And avoidable deaths is a very broad stroking term. For those of you who are unaware listening, avoidable deaths include anything that is not naturally occurring. The caveat is anything not naturally occurring also includes being mauled to death by a bear. I think we have to. And I think we have to go back to his first ever point, point of, uh, which is entitlement. Oh yeah. So I think <laughs> what he means by lack of coping skills is that. Let me give you one example. Okay. As millennials. We don't agree that we should throw ourselves into our work as a coping skill because work doesn't matter that much because initially and it work certainly is doesn't not, net the same dopamine effect. Work is not going to elicit us the benefit that we want. Mm. Which is why he said that we have a problem with authority because we don't think that when we go to work and we throw ourselves into our work, it's going to be any meaningful. Is right? that what he said? Or so, did he say that millennials were simply confounding to authority? That too. I could be probably inserting my personal opinion into it. Yeah. You go back and listen and figure it out. <laughs> but, go um, back, Tracy. But my thing is, uh, is so reset the point again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Mm -hmm. We're in, millennials tend to be entitled. Mm. Oh, okay. So the millennials. So my thing is, for for entitlement, we feel like that. Uh, I just totally forgot. I forgot the question. I totally blanked. <laughs> so. Millennials tend not to have as many uh, stress coping skills. Oh, so okay, okay, their okay, cell okay. phone devices. There I use go. social media for instant gratification, temporary relief, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I believe what you were saying is attributed to, our, to the laziness okay. or entitlement as being an inherent failure. All right. 
So, so we don't feel like we should throw ourselves into our work because we don't feel like that's a necessary coping skill. So when we rely on going to someone, I, I feel like by not mentioning escapism, he kind of missed something here in this that was kind of necessary. Millennials engage in escapism more than any other generation. Oh my God, so in, true. In something that is not that is not functional, right? So I feel like that is why I feel I feel like that is what he meant by we don't have effective coping mechanisms because older generations have escapism into something that is functional. They work on cars. They work on things around the house. My grandfather, my grandfather worked on, um, my grandfather worked on houses and stuff like that. My wife's dad worked on cars. The older generations what they do is they take they found a functional their habit. escapism into something functional. Right. I think what he's saying is when we engage in escapism, we engage in it in into meaningless manner. things. Yes. So we don't have coping mechanisms that contribute right. to society because right. we don't right. feel right. like right. the society right. that we're in is contributing anything to us. Right. We don't so know we don't, rebuilt a fucking right. Tesla. Exactly. <laughs> Like so one this, guy did, but so, nobody else has done. So this is why it relates to our ability to innovate because we don't ever make anything, and that's why it relates to us not us being lazy. Because mm -hmm. you don't think I'm gonna cope by attacking the very thing that I'm trying to get away from. So instead of being like, I'm working at a messed up place and I'm going to do anything I can to change it. Now mm -hmm. we're like, I'll leave and I'll go somewhere else, which is why he right. gave the which is why he gave the example that the dude said he was quitting after eight months. He hasn't even been there a year. Oh, my God. That was my favorite thing. That so he said. exactly. I was crying and laughing. So that's related. Holy because shit. We are so impatient. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's what he was saying about the coping and, and it, that's what that's what one of the factors that leads to the dependency on social mm -hmm. media dope, dopamine release is that really it's that the that the uh, necessity to just feel the response. I don't even think it's gratification. I think it's just to see the like, see the click, see the comment. The response alone in and of itself is what makes us feel somewhat elevated, regardless of if it's negative. I mean, I know plenty of people who are on social media that feed off negativity, just like there are plenty of people who feed off positivity and are racked and upset and psychologically disturbed because one person wrote a particularly vicious comment right. in their video response, whatever. And so when I see it, I'm like, yeah, I get what he's saying and that, you know, we lack coping mechanisms in the millennial generation. I can't argue with that. I was born in 93. I've mentored other kids in the millennial generation. I've given advice. I've talked people out of suicide and I've talked people back off ledges of shit that they don't want to do and things they can't fix and take back. 
And I gotta say, in all my experience of human interaction in my years, a lot of it is just the kids around my age looking to me for wisdom or people my age looking to me for wisdom is that they don't feel like they have enough grounding in the world to decide. My feet are firmly planted enough to go, I'm going to walk down this path. And if it's not good for me in five or six steps, I'm going to change course. They don't even have that confidence, let alone to say, I'm going to commit $160,000 in undergrad and postgrad education to this single path that I know is good for me. They can't even make the path five or six steps, let alone something that extreme, which is what the generation before us did. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you were going to be your family's lawyer. You were going to be the family doctor. You're going to be a doctor, a family of doctors or lawyers or, or mechanics and craftsmen. You're going to inherit the business, the title, whatever. Y'all going to do it. All of that's gone. People are so freelance, information so available through the internet, not just social media, but through the internet and the ability to self-educate and self-prove, right? You don't have to have an LLC. You don't have to have a corporate title. You don't have to have, pardon me, a legal designation like Esquire to show that you have aptitude anymore. You can publish a video with a succinct uh, argument, clearly and cleanly communicated in a in an audio platform. Give it some video so people know who they're talking to or listening to, and you're like, "This is who I am. I am this kind of lawyer. I am this kind of affiliate for your company. This is what I want to do. This is what I specialize in." And you can critique something the company just did or something the company's struggling with. Or you can critique a small business and be like, this is how I would improve the things that you're doing. Please give me a contact. Call me back if you think I'm valuable. If not, take my free advice. You don't have to take it either. Whatever. You can do all of that today that you couldn't do before. I can send a a video resume out or a video critique and response out to a company in Illinois Right. And get a response tomorrow that I couldn't do. I mean, just 25 years ago. It was impossible. And that level of interaction and communication vastly elevates and accelerates human cognitive ability. Right. Especially when you're talking about when you account for how elastic the human mind is and and human adaptability. We take in stuff like social media and dopamine effects, and we don't think about the secondary side effects. We go, this works. This is a good response. This is positive for my body. I'm going to keep doing this. And then you get addicted to social media, or then you get addicted to work or whatever. You have that instant connection nowadays that before you didn't, and now it's so rapid and so fast and so expansive. It doesn't matter if you're wrong 50% of the time. You're still wrong. Fifty. You're still right. Fifty percent of the time. And a fifty-fifty shot at life is all we ask for here in America. Like that's literally all we ask for as a legal definition. Give us a fifty-fifty shot. Look at our resume. Look at our our 
heart credentials. Don't look at the name on the paper. Don't look at the date of birth. Don't look at the the man, the gender, the race. Look at what our experience is and judge us. Give us a 50-50 fucking shot. And we can only get that nowadays because so many people bring in so many different uh, uh, preferential biases to the to the hiring process and things like that. But I can still, I can still sway the the interpretation of my of my efficacy from three thousand miles away by sending in a video that you couldn't do twenty five years ago, right? That amount of power to the individual is incredibly good. That being said, every other person who has access to that can take a shot at me. That's a lot more negativity coming out than one person can put out. Or coming in than one person can put out, right? Mm -hmm. How do we deal with that? Especially in a generation where you don't have coping skills. When you don't have creative outlets to release your frustrations. When you don't have deep, meaningful relationships with somebody who's been your friend since elementary school who can be there and go, you are the best person I have ever known. Like, we build more... Do not doubt yourself. We build on more functional coping mechanisms, man. That's right. why I want to go out and want to hunt. I want something... I'm telling you to come out and stop. Dude, I've sent a fucking list out to six different people who would be like, yeah, I want to go hunt with you, bro. Let's go. I'm like, well... We got to get our permits first, but before we get our permits, we need to go stalk the land. We got to go walk the land so we know where the fuck we're going so we don't end up turned around in the middle of the country. They're like, oh, yeah. I send them a list of shit they're going to need to just just minimally survive on a night without hunting, right? Nobody's responded. I mean, rough estimates, like two to three, four hundred bucks for just the initial gear, but that gear is going to last you every trip right you're not gonna have to buy another four hundred dollar pack a year or three two hundred and you know once you go the first time you're gonna know how much you do or don't need right. how minimalist are you comfortable with to survive on a stalking hunting trip and nobody hits me back and it's like oh let's go the 16th i'm good yeah. let's do an overnight trip and we'll go down 50 miles outside of town and just walk. Like, nobody's done that. Right. right? I tell you to bring a fucking tent in some wood and nobody fucking comes. I'm like, what do you want? We'll get it, dude. What do you want, man? Like, I can't make it more easy for you than literally printing a list. Right. The fuck? But that speaks to the entitlement that Cynic's talking about, right? And like... What do you want me to do? Go kill a fucking deer and skin it for you, too? There you go. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you can jump off a motherfucking bridge. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, I'm not going to shoot your own deer for you. If I kill my deer and I'm going to share it or my turkey or whatever, fine. That's mm-hmm. my choice. Don't tell me you want to come hunting and stalking with me and be like, well, I can't work out the time. <laughs> Bitch, I gave you a list. All you have to do is show up to the occasion. Right. Fuck you. You don't even have to buy the $200 tent. Fuck you. Get out of my life. I don't need that shit. That's crazy. It is entitlement. 
um, in that regard specifically. But I would still say, as Cynic says, the the lack of bond is what's important there, right? And the lack of their commitment to me. I mean, which is what I'm, we were talking I'm, about in the beginning I'm of this spending whole hours. Yeah. yeah, I'm spending hours of my time to research what's the best gear, where's the best prices, what's the best thing for you to buy and where and when, what time of the month, where are the sales. And I'm sending all this to you in a fucking email or a, a message. And I'm like, here's the list. Yeah. What more do you want from me? What more commitment could I possibly give you other than going out shooting the deer and giving you free meat? Which I'm not gonna do. Exactly. Like, fuck that. Exactly. You don't come with me? I'm sorry. You gotta be real special to get some meat. I mean, it'd have to be you or my sister, my my mom, dad, whatever. Yeah. My my friend is not gonna get me if you don't come hunting with me. Right. Sorry. If you come to my house, maybe I'll cook you some burgers. I'm not gonna just fucking do it and give it to you. Not because I don't love you, but because like you should do it yourself and honor the tradition and honor the animal by putting in the fucking effort. Right. And, like if I just go and do it and give it to you, it's the same thing as if you went to the fucking food line and bought it yourself. Right. That's useless. And I don't actually get paid for that. <laughs> like what? Yeah. No. So don't tell me, you know, you're going to be my friend and commit to all this. And when I hand you the recipe on a silver platter, you turn it tongue in cheek and don't commit. You get one chance to do, to fuck that up with me. I'm not going to bother with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, like I give you everything. I give you the recipe for success. And you don't have enough consideration, I guess, as a millennial, as Cynic would say, and you don't have enough consideration and concern with me because something better comes along that's easier to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. I'll take my back strap and my quarters. <laughs> I'll keep them in my motherfucking fridge, asshole. There you go. Mm, fuck off. So how about we shut this down? And then <sighs> We're only halfway through. Dude. Three hours. You said the the stuff we were putting out recently was not long (laughs) enough. (laughs) I only have really two more things. Technically, I just touched on that. I have two more things that I have issue with that I want to hear your rebuttal on primarily. Um, Also, five-minute break. Are you sick and tired of ads? Well, this is an ad to tell you that you don't have to listen to ads. Stitcher Premium has some of your favorite shows ad-free, like Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Science Rules, and Dr. Death. It also includes early access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Go to stitcherpremium.com and upgrade your account for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Plus, sign up today through our website and get your first month on us. It's 2019. Ads are optional. So you said there's two questions you like to ask. Okay, yeah. Or two things you'd like to address. Quick sidebar. Shout out again to Magner's original Irish cider. It is treating me right tonight. <laughs> On top of the Lolita. Or 
had a terrible association with the title and book. Oh, shit, that tastes amazing. So, my main point, beginning with a quote from uh, Simon Sinek. These things need balance. Alcohol is not bad. Too much is bad. There is nothing wrong with social media and cell phones if you can balance. Examples of imbalance that he gives. If you're sitting at a dinner with your friends and texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem. That's an addiction. First point off the bat, most people can think of, well, what are the exceptions? I kind of don't agree with that. It's kind of subjective, man. Right. That's my point. I'm just not going to argue this point because, like, sometimes you have business you have to take. No. That, but that's Simon Sinek's point is that right. it's not – if it's that important, you shouldn't be out. You should be taking care of business. You should have taken care of mm-hmm. That's his point is that you should have just fucking taken care of the business. And sometimes there are extenuating circumstances, which, he's, which he did revisit mm-hmm. in his video about uh, 10, day, 10 days ago um, in uh, November – 2019, mm-hmm. which is the video I posted to you about balance being the wrong way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Three years later, after the video that we've been revealing all mm-hmm. episode, um, uh, Cynic has come around to a different point of view in a more recent video in the last 10 days that he's published about how he believes the balance between life and work is not exactly what you're supposed to be focusing on. The concept of balancing them is not what you should be concerned with. What you should be concerned with is based on the video that I watched that I posted in Slack. Mm -hmm. Shout out to our Slack. Find us, follow us, join us. Is that balance is not the right thing you should be looking for. You shouldn't be considering yourself in a dichotomy of one or the other. I'm going to be this person, and then I'm going to be that person. His point being, you should just be the fucking person you are. And when you decide you're going to fucking take time off from work, don't do this. Don't be this example he gave three years ago. Don't be the person at a table with your friends texting somebody who's not there. Three years ago, he said that that was addiction. Now he says that's just not healthy, right? He's like, you don't want to be that person. If you're going to be that person, all you're doing is telling the people that work for you or telling the people that you're concerned with, that you're texting, that you don't trust them to handle a situation. Now, here's the caveat to that first question, that first issue I have. I mean, but what if nobody's around to handle the situation? Well, what if it's the person you fucking love? What if it's a loved one? What if it's not that you're not out with friends because you don't love them. It's the holiday season and a loved one of yours couldn't travel, but nine out of ten people could or eight out of ten people could and somebody's staying back. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're going to be aware. You're going to be on your phone. You're going to be there and present. Now, clearly Simon's point, I think it's fair to say in our generation, people go. You should be with that person. At large, if that person's so important that you have to 
quote unquote, as Simon says, uh, tell other people by having your phone out that they are not as important as the person that you're concerned with on your phone. You should be with that person. Yeah. Which I think is fucking true. Right. Like, I'm not going to sit here. Like, I don't come to this podcast and monitor my phone to see if my wife's going to have to go to the hospital. Like, and you wouldn't either. Like, mm-hmm. we would just go with our wife to the hospital. And if we're needed, we're needed. If not, we're just going to be there. And the rest of the world can fuck off. Right. Like, if my wife may or may not be in the hospital, I don't give a shit what's going on. I don't. Like, we could be at World War Three. You can fuck off. I'm not going to adjust it. If my cousin is in the hospital, I'm going to, and I decide I'm going to have to go up there and be there for her. You either on board or you're not. I'm not going to make that kind of choice and be like, oh, I'm just going to text like 10 other people while I'm here because you're asleep. That's crazy. Like, no. And I think that's the point he's talking about. You know, if you're sitting at a, if you're out to dinner with your friends and you've decided that you can afford to do that, be invested. Right? Right. In this three-year-old video, be invested in that. Be invested in that endeavor that you choose. Mm, Pardon me. Super burpy this this episode. Sorry. Be invested in that endeavor. Be invested in those people. Build those meaningful relationships by being there, being present every minute of the of the night, of the night out, of the present. Keeping an eye on that person, making sure they're okay. Be like, hey, should you drink water? You've yeah. got like six beers. Should you drink a water? Burn. I wish I had a friend like that. I used to. I mm-hmm. don't any longer. My uh, compatriot in arms is no longer with us. Do you like a water? <laughs> no. <laughs> so all it's going to do is make me cry on mm-hmm. podcast. <sighs> Shit. That's what I brought up. One. We back in it. All right, boys. Ladies and gents, guys and gals, listeners, opinionated trolls, welcome. Opinionated. <laughs> opinionated trolls. I'm giving you the benefit of, of the doubt and saying that you're intelligent enough to have an opinion. Anyways, we left off with the uh, concept that if you're sitting at a dinner with your friends and texting somebody who's not there, then it's a problem. It's what Cynic would qualify as an addiction, according to his video three years ago that we've been asked to review and critique. Fair enough, I would say, from a general point of view. You go, meh. If you really didn't want to come out with us, you should have just been there with that person. Fair enough. But... Sometimes there is an exception. As with any law, any rule, there's an exception, right? Well, you're going to go out to your friends because you're totally, you're stuck in Constantinople and your mother or father is sick and you can't catch a flight out. So you're going to go spend Christmas with your family in Constantinople. Your friends that you spent years making, presumably, but you're going to keep an eye on your phone in case you get that overwhelming, foreboding call. 
right? Or the text, or whatever. Another example uh, Cynic gives for the millennial uh, quandary, I guess is a good way to put it. The millennial quandary is if you're at a meeting where you're supposed to be listening to others and you put your phone on the table, face up or face down, doesn't matter, it sends a quote-unquote subliminal message to everyone in the room that they are not as important as whatever you're expecting to come through on the phone. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. I've been in those circumstances. I've felt that kind of like offhanded displeasure, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that there are significant caveats to that. And the, again, according to the video I reposted in Slack, Cynic... I keep calling him Cynic as if he's like a medieval Roman character. Cynic. Cynic. Sorry, Simon. Cynic understands there are certain caveats, but he doesn't take time in the video that we were asked to review to go over them. He does in the video I posited in Slack or posted in Slack from just 10 days ago. <clears throat> and he understands that there are certain circumstances, right? You should be available for the last minute family call. Say your last words. Maybe somebody's going to be having a baby. Maybe it's not so morbid, right? Maybe it's like there might be a baby born, you know. And, yes, you might be six hours away, but you should still be keeping track of your texts and your phone calls for the first photos, for the for the phone call, right? I did it, I mean, not even a year and a half ago. My cousin Aaron and his wife Grace had a kid, and... They were scheduled to have her around the same time as a birthday party, and it was a huge birthday party in my family, and I was like, look, I'm one of two people that have this number that this information is going to come through. You goddamn right. I'm going to be motherfucking paying attention to it. Yes, I love you. It's your birthday. It's all about you. Fine. But you know what? Your birthday might be shared with somebody else in the family. Get the fuck over it. If that kid's born today, motherfucker, I don't care if they're born at 11.59 tonight. If that kid's born today, bitch, you're going to sing happy birthday to somebody else other than yourself. That's my perspective on it. Like, that's a reasonable exception, especially granted uh, Cynic's statements in the video from like 10 days ago. I think that's more than reasonable. Other less reasonable, less important instances... Uh, Maybe your your cousin's having a fucking foot surgery. And that foot surgery is super important to their, to their career or whatever. And you just want to make sure it's okay. Any family member in surgery, I'm okay with you being on your phone in a, in a meeting. Whether it's your smartwatch, you got your phone turned up, waiting for the light to come on. Now, if I'm presenting the meeting, or I'm your friend in the meeting, I'm like, hey, is that the text? And they go, no. I'm like, oh, okay. But if it's like, hey, is that the text? And they go, yeah. I'm like, all right, go ahead and step out so we can keep working and you can deal with that. I'm not going to make you stay here in a fucking meeting when you have news about a family member in surgery. Right. That's stupid. That's dumb. If you work for a place like that, quit. Move on. That seems extreme, I know, but quit. Move on. It's better for your life. Quit. Quit. <laughs> you don't want to be in a place that says you do, you can't be concerned about family members in surgery. Fuck that place. Right. And I think Simon Sinek would say the same. I mean, if it's what you love and it's your, it's the 
a perfect field for you, that's a decision you have to make. But if it's just like your half-ass job, cornerstone, stepping stone on the way to your on the way to your dream job, go to a fucking different company. If your company doesn't understand your relationship to your family and how important that is, tell them to fuck off. Move on. That being said, I think Cynic has a really good point about being present for meetings prior to when the meeting begins. Show, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a performer. I I'm a singer and, and guitar player, piano player. Show week, performance week, whatever. When you have a performance, 15 minutes early is on time. On time is 15 minutes late. And that's not just a saying. There's any number of things that could go sideways, go wrong, things you have to cover before you get ready to open the show, right? People are like, oh, it's extravagant. That's not how life works. No, that is exactly how life works. You get to your business meeting, maybe the fucking projector doesn't work. And then you have to spend 10 minutes calling around to IT support to find another fucking room to hold the meeting in. And then you spend five minutes emailing people, telling them, hey, sending texts, hey, we're moved two blocks over in the building. Don't go to this room. Go to this room. It's 119 instead of 191. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not simple things when you're talking about a corporate structure like what Simon Sinek deals with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's not just a menial thing. And I think it's very important that, you know, when you show up, you show up 15, 30 minutes early to your to your designated time for your business meeting or your job. You show up early. You allow yourself a 30 minute, 15 minute cushion window. If you show up early, don't clock in. That's your choice. If you show up early, you want to clock in. You're there to clock in. Put in the extra hours. It's 15 minutes, whatever. 30 minutes, put in the time, be there, be present. And like Cynic says, don't show up to your fucking business meeting 30 minutes early, 15 minutes early, and then just sit on your phone the whole time. Talk to Andrew, talk to Gabby, Denisha, whatever, Maria. Be like, hey, how you doing? How's your day? What What's it like over in human resources? What's it like? You know, are there any, is there anything I need to be on the lookout for? Anybody in my department I have an issue with that I don't know about? What's the deal, yo? Don't sit there and be on your phone and be absolute, obsolete and just on autopilot your whole day. Be there. Be involved with the people. Those people are in the room with you because they are as important as you are, regardless of where you sit in the room. Those people are considered, in some aspects, as valuable as you are. Talk to those people before you have a business meeting. That's a fair point that Cynic makes. And I think that's a lot of things. That's something crucial that people in our generation and the millennial generation have lost. They've lost the ability to invest in other people. Word. And I guess to wrap this up, I'm uh, I'm going to wrap this up with an anecdote. Uh, <laughs> so you get a little twitchy. I'm going to wrap this up with a real simple anecdote. All through undergrad, from like 2012 to 2017, I guess that gives my age out, but whatever. I had this unique thing that not very many people at my school had. 
it didn't matter what time of day it was. It didn't matter what day of the week it was. I could text or call somebody, and I could pretty much get into any building I wanted to get into on campus. I mean, I'd drop a line and be like, hey, I got somebody who's super interested, <clears throat> but they want me to give them a, a walk around. Can I make it happen? They'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, we'll set up a meeting for the next day. You go ahead and walk them through and show them, show them the ropes, whatever, and just take care of it. Okay, cool. Come in, six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Walk them around. This is what it is. If this is what you want to do, here's why you want to do it here. Kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it really didn't hit me. For me, I just thought it was a common thing. I, I knew it was uncommon, but I think I, I felt it was a typical thing. People learn in, in, in college that you invest in people because people make the world go round. And that's not a funny term or colloquial saying. It's literally true. No matter who you are, where you are, you can't do everything yourself. You're going to have to call Maria or Tia or Tasha or Jamie or Gabby or Tolson or Sam or Alex, whoever. You're going to have to call somebody at some point and ask them, can you make this happen? Can you help me make this happen? Can you facilitate this? Because either you don't have access, you don't have jurisdiction, it's outside of your remote capability. You have to be able to remember people's names, where they come from. you got to remember their stories. you got to remember why they're important to the world. Not your world in particular, necessarily, but why and how they ended up where they are. That's called investing in people. That's what corporations, as Seneca was saying, don't do nowadays. They don't invest in the undergrads fresh out of college. They don't give them the time of day. They don't concern themselves with their mental health, their longevity in the corporation or in the industry. They're all about, <clears throat> as Seneca would say, short-term profits, maximum yield, Use and dispose. Use and dispose in my terms. But that's effectively what happens when all your corporation is focused on is short-term gains and maximum yield. It's that you turn people into a commodity and a resource that gets spent. And that's not good. That's not helpful for the, in the industry you're in. Right? If you want to start a business in the industry and pass it on to two, three generations, four generations, you have to learn how to invest in people. You want to be a small business owner since the next three generations of your family to college? Invest in people. Learn the names. Learn the stories. Learn why they, they're important to the fabric. Learn how they fit into your fabric and why they're that important to you. And then pay them for that. Show them the respect, not because money is the only way to show respect, but because money is what they have to give to other people. Show them the respect by giving them enough money to keep their family safe and secure and taken care of. That's how you show respect to people. Whether your phone's up or down, I disagree with that comment, as I've said previously. Phone up or down, fine. Your actions speak louder than your words. Show them that you give a shit about their day-to-day -day lives. Remember their names. Remember the blood and the sweat and the tears and the late nights 
and the birthdays and the Christmas and the Thanksgiving and whatever other holiday they miss. Remember those days. Remember the weekends that that person puts in and remind them that you see that. It might seem like money's not a big thing, but that money's going to help. And they might not appreciate it at face value when you give them that bonus instead of the time off for their family. But when their family gets sick, they're going to appreciate that money. When they have an unexpected $500 payment, they're going to appreciate that bonus. And it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it just. It's not to say that money equates to human effort and dignity. And it doesn't say it not to say that you can equate the money to the people. But it's what you can do if you're in the position to do so. And if you're not in the position to do that, give a shit about the person's name. Give a shit about their lives and pay attention. Because investing in people is inevitably what Simon Sinek is talking about here in his video from three years ago. He's talking about the lack of ability of young people to invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs to invest in young other young people. And I remember this from my undergrad days when I had juniors and sophomores and seniors and sorry, sophomores and freshmen ask me how I knew all these people walking around with me on campus going, how many people do you know? Why do you know all these people? How are you able to do this? I remember people's names and faces and where they come from and why they're important to me. Not the rest of the world. How they impact me, what they did for me. I remember that. That is called investing in people. That is how you create exponential human gratuity. You show them ethical and moral solidarity and remembering what they gave to you. And then when you have the chance, you fucking pay it back. Pay it forward. Cover somebody else's ass. Take care of that person when they need it. A help in a pinch hit scenario. And if they have nowhere else to go this holiday, motherfuckers, invite them to your house. I don't care if it's the lady at your cashier's office who told you you have to pay up four grand this, this semester to stay in school. Or if it's the lady who told you you can't do this or can't do that. If they have nowhere else to go this Christmas, this holiday, invite them to your place wherever the fuck you're going to be. Because one day you're going to need that person or somebody like them. And if you're a little shit today, when you do need that person, somebody's going to be a little shit to you and fuck your life over. So happy holidays from the One-Eye Gambler and Nemesis the AP. Follow us on all of major social media apps. Shout out to uh, Stitcher Premium. Use our code when you check out A Space Podcast or A Space. A Space. Nimbus has gone catatonic on me, folks. We got to wrap this up. Shout out to Tracy Bye. for the uh, invaluable request and response to our community. I hope it serves you well. I hope it answers the questions that you had. If not, Again, interact with us again. Tell us more specifically what we missed, what we didn't miss. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe, a share. Tell everybody this year at your family that you got some new knowledge to drop on them. And uh, if it doesn't please you, Tracy, you let us know. We'll cover some extra shit. Peace. Peace.